0: Welcome to the Capital Insight Podcast with Jenny Casson and Michelle Timish, two capital raising experts on a mission to demystify and equify the world of investment for entrepreneurs and investors alike. Listen in as they sit down with fundraising veterans and share with you the success stories and cautionary tales of outside-the-box capital raising. This is Capital Insight.
1: Hello, this is Jenny Casson. Welcome to the Capital Insight Podcast. I'm so excited to welcome Matt Kreutz of Firebrand Artisan Breads. Matt has a really amazing story about his business, how he got funding for his business and all the good that it's doing in the world. So Matt, why don't we start by you telling us about how you got into becoming a, a maker of Artisan Breads?
0: Sure. Um... You know, I was fourteen. My mom took me to the principal's office. I got a, um, I got a work permit, and I started working in a bagel place, um, there in Virginia, Northern Virginia, and um, been working in bread ever since. So I've never done anything outside of, of working in the bakery, basically for twenty six years.
1: And what made you decide to start your own business? And you know, how did when did you start it? And what were your, you know, goals when you started it?
0: Yeah, I think saying that we had goals was a little bit ambitious. Um, You know, we just I just didn't want to work for anybody else. Like I feel like I had like run or manage other people's bakeries at that point, probably like three or four and had bounced around a bunch and like, you know, I was 20, 24, 25 years old and just felt like I could I could have something to contribute and and do my own thing. And it's really just kind of like I'm a pretty shitty employee. And so was just like, let's just do my own thing. Um, and so we started in 2008 Um, uh, we didn't have employees for the first three, four years, something like that. Um, it was just me and then my ex-wife who started at the time. And then um yeah, we were just grinding it out. We were just doing it. I mean, I think I guess what, you know, what would be called like a lifestyle business, you know, money in was coming in, money was going out, but like we definitely weren't making any money. Like we were homeless for the first kind of like year and a half there, just trying to like, grinded out and um you know worked you know a million hours a week. Um but I I wouldn't say we really had any goals until probably year like four or five. We started to like, you know, we we brought a someone came in named um Colleen Orlando and she was the kind of first person who saw that like we actually had something (laughs) like a business, like a real business. Um, And then we just kind of grew it from there. I think we were just trying to create an environment that kind of fostered having a having a good time and joining each other's company and you know spending eight hours having fun and, and baking some bread and that kind of grew into like an open hiring philosophy of you know we just hiring people who we who we liked who we thought would fit but you know maybe they didn't have any experience and we always said we can kind of train you how to shape a baguette but we can't train you to be a good person so it was just really you know bringing people on who we liked and so that really opened it up to people who had you know, crazy backgrounds or different backgrounds. And we didn't care. You know, we just, we wanted you to come in and and add to the culture and add to what we're doing and be an interesting person. And so, you know, that kind of just grew and grew. And then we really kind of year five or six started really focusing on people um, who had barriers to employment and and people who had been out of the workforce for a while and, you know, grew into people who were formerly homeless, formerly incarcerated, which is what what we've kind of been focusing on um, for about a decade now, um, just kind of grew, out, grew, out, kind of really just kind of grew out of that, grew out of that, you know, and so we still do open hiring practices. We don't take job applications. We don't do formal job interviews. We don't do, um, you know, resumes. We don't do background checks. Uh, really it's a matter of just kind of bringing people in and seeing if they're a good fit. And then, you know, really trying to impact recidivism in California you know, if you're released today, within 70% of people have a, you know, 70% of people are back in prison within two years. So, you know, we're trying to reduce that by trying to get people as close as possible to when they're exiting incarceration to get them into a job, get them into a system, get them into the banking system, and then try to create a wraparound service model at Firebrand so that they're successful uh, in the future. So.
1: Wow. Okay. That is an amazing story. So, is that are you saying literally you were homeless you know not your business was homeless but you were homeless at the beginning of your business
0: yeah we were like you know we were living in this place over in east oakland and it was it was this really big place and we were there for like three hours a day you know we were just track, you know we'd go home feed the starters track a bunch of, of flour in, and then we're like man we don't have time to clean this fucking place up and and we didn't have any money, like we weren't getting paid at all. And so it was like, well, we should just move in upstairs, like in the loft of the bakery. Uh-huh. And so we basically put all our stuff in storage and like, we couldn't afford to, like, we couldn't afford the place anymore. They were raising the rent. And like I said, we weren't getting paid. So we moved upstairs to the loft of the bakery. And we had like, at that point, like one employee, like kind of an employee who we would like We'd wake up before she got there and like act like we weren't sleeping oh upstairs. My gosh. Um, and then we would go to the Y, which is across, which is ironically across from our retail cafe and in one of our production facilities now. Right. We would go to that Y to shower. Um, and yeah, it was pretty brutal for there for about a year oh and a half. Oh my gosh. Yeah.
1: So that's so interesting. I didn't know that part of the story. I all I know is Every time I get an email about an exciting, um, about an, an impact investor bragging about an amazing investment they made, they're always mentioning Firebrand. <laughs> so I'm <laughs> like, wow, that's so impressive that you went from that struggle to what you are doing now. And, you know, what, um, what was the turning point where you realized that you could make it and then even... Start to think about raising money from investors
0: um like i said i think you know it took like colleen uh, orlando kind of coming into the business and like i always said like we were like the mr magoo of bakeries just like wandering around like we're doing it and like it was happening and people were excited about what we we're doing but like there's no strategy like we were just doing it like oh you want pretzels cool we'll make pretzels like oh you want burger buns sure we'll make burger buns like you know, just one, like literally like one relationship, one chef, like one, like we didn't have us, like we've had one salesperson in 14 years, you know, like, and that lasted for six months, you know, (laughs) like we've just been really relationship oriented. So, um, probably year like six, we got an advisory group called inner city advisors and they helped us kind of develop like a longer term strategy. And, hey, we got to get out of this small little warehouse. We got to, you know, we have an opportunity to open a little retail cafe, add pastries, expand the production. And that was kind of like year six, we kind of started formulating that. Kind of year eight, we really kind of started, we kind of raised our first money. And that was really like um, convertible notes um, through a group called Inner City Advisors that we mentioned earlier. And then um, our landlord contributed some capital through convertible notes as well. So That was like kind of our first experience was it was these kind of convertible notes and and then we had a debt instrument through a CDFI that we got as well. So really kind of like friendly, basically friendly debt, essentially.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you did end up going on to raise a larger round of funding, and I think in the form of equity. So can you talk about, mm-hmm. you know, how did that come to pass? Um, how did you make sure that it was structured in a way that really fit what you were? You know what was important to you, instead of it being like a cookie cutter approach. Yes,
0: yeah, so we kind of talked to like you know we talked to traditional private equity folks, um, both kind of family offices and, and 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 more traditional private equity folks, and it was really really cookie cutter kind of you know return formulas and really cookie cutter diligence, and it was fine. It's just that like we. I knew very like we were very clear, or like we had talked so much. I mean, we basically had been talking for six years about what an equity fundraising round would look like. Um, just like we talk about the future a lot, and so you know what our plans were, what our goals were, what the vision was. So when we were we ready, when we were ready to raise, it was like, okay, well, I'm not selling the majority of the company. I want the company to be around for a really long time. That's important to me. Okay, what else is important to me? Like we we had all of our goals written down and we wanted like strategic partners who could add value. We didn't want like dumb money coming in. Like we wanted people who would like be on the team who were like ride or die firebrand, you know? Like that's what we want. We felt like, hey, we got, you know, like at that time, maybe 65 committed employees. Like we want you to come into the picture and be part of the team. And so we had all these kind of goals going into it and the private equity folks like really weren't that in, interested in that. And so that was pretty clear that wasn't going to happen. And then with the social impact investors, it was pretty much the same thing as the private equity folks. It's just kind of like some different reporting mechanisms and, and, and metrics and, and stuff that they cared about, but it was like pretty much the same thing And they couldn't, and social impact people couldn't really also add a lot of value. And in terms of like, like we were launching our first CPG product, we were like, we were growing, we're like, we're on a, we're on a pretty fast growth trajectory. And they didn't, they didn't really have a lot to offer in that realm either, we found. Um, So we were kind of disheartened with the whole picture, you know, it was, and so we found um, a group called Candide. Um, and Candide was really creative, like they really they wanted to invest in us because we were transitioning the company from an LLC um, to a public benefit corporation, and then to a, a steward-owned company. So, where Firebrand is a, a kind of a worker-owner model um, called a, under a perpetual purpose trust. Um, so, they they really wanted to invest in that model. They were excited. And so they were willing to get creative with us. And so we set up a structure where if the investors win, the employees win. And so there's a profit sharing mechanism at Firebrand that, you know, part of the dividends goes to uh, workers. So, um, yeah, we were just lucky to find them and they were just, they've been really creative with us.
1: So. That is so awesome. And what about exit? You know, that's, so often a difficult thing with investors they're looking for that big exit as the main way that they get paid so how did you set that up with the candide investors
0: yeah so that was a thing like people were like gotta structure an exit like you gotta what's your exit what's the exit and it's like i just never had i mean honestly we thought about it for three years that question and we never had a good answer so i was like well i don't feel comfortable like So after like three, five, seven years, like I give you this big, like I bust my ass and all these people bust my ass and like, you get a big payout. Right. (laughs) So it felt like, like, I get it. Like, I'm not like, I'm not immune to the argument of like why that's structured the way it is. Like, I totally understand like VC fund. Like I understand all of those structures. It's just kind of felt nasty. Like, It felt, and also just because of who I am, like, hey man, like, I, like, I always say that like, like, I'm not the most talented person. I'm not the most, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but ain't, ain't one damn person going to work harder than me at all. No one ever in this world will bust their ass more than me. And so it was kind of like, well, why are you getting that? You know, like, why aren't the work, why even like the workers aren't getting it, let alone me or anybody else in the company, you know? So it just always kind of felt dirty and I never had a good answer. And so Anair proposed a structure of where, you know, shares are retired, you know, where like the investors have a choice at the end after they've gotten 5X, um, but those shares can be retired. And those shares go to the trust. They don't go back to me. They go back to the trust. So the trust increases their ownership uh, share, which, which represents the worker. So, you know, I think a lot of that just came from the fact that we just didn't have a good answer and i know you know it that's hard for a lot of people to swallow um right but it's also you know we didn't you know we just felt like our goal is to make sure that the workers are winning that the workers are getting more equity that the workers are getting the benefit of all the hard work you know that 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 they're they're deriving that and how do we best do that and we best do that through Being making sure that Firebrand's more profitable. If Firebrand's more profitable, there's more profits to distribute, and as more profits to distribute, they get big. You know, they get fatter paychecks, and so, you know, that was kind. That's our goal. You know, and so that we wanted to make sure that the investors who are coming into Firebrand are aligned with that goal and, and are just aware of that. But that means that they have to sacrifice too. You know, and I think when we just think of a business when firebrand when we think of a business like hey we're all partners here and we're all working and we're all sacrificing but you know that's what you have to sacrifice you know like 5x is a nice return you know it's not 5x plus this huge you know you know this huge exit you know it's just like hey cool you got 5x now like you know we'll all move on
1: yeah Exactly, I'm sorry, but that is not a big sacrifice because mm-hmm. if you look at the average returns that people make when they invest in the using the VC model, it's often zero or negative. So, even yeah. though the promised return might be much higher, but um yeah yeah the, the
0: promised return is always higher yeah. yeah.
1: But what's super interesting about that is you set up a way for them to exit without you having to sell the business because if you were forced to sell the business. It, unfortunately, we do often see when a business gets sold, it doesn't have that same commitment to taking care of the workers really well, making sure they're getting the services they need to, you know, make it in outside of, you know, in the incar- world of incarceration, you know, all of that. So it would be really sad if you had to sell the business before you felt like you had provided what you're trying to provide to to the community and to the workers.
0: Well, and that's why I like so with the trust, we can't sell the business like the 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 under the steward ownership model, the majority of the company is owned by a trust. so the company can't be sold. so fifty one percent of the company's shares are solely owned by a trust and are dedicated to you know, fulfilling a set of 11 yeah. purposes. Wow. And one of those purposes, you know, those purposes range from hiring practices to profit sharing, to open book management, to, you know, you know, just different kind of like equity models, like it's really kind of a wide ranging things. And, you know, they have to uphold those things legally, mm-hmm. like they're bound legally to uphold those things. And if they don't, there's a mechanism to remove the committee and, you know, put new people on the committee who are actually doing that. And but the, those one of the tenets of that agreement is a, in our charter is that those shares can never be sold. Wow. So the only way to to have those shares move is if the company's dissolved.
1: Right.
0: So it was also just kind of like it just the it just takes the company off the market because also it felt weird like so my company is now the bargaining chip, is now the mortgage that you're gonna like leverage. For this exit, like it just felt like that. So, I'm gonna like bust my ass, and in five and seven years, I may have to mortgage the company to pay you. Mm-hmm. Like, it just felt kind of weird. That also yes. kind of felt like an odd model <laughs> for us, you know. It's like this it didn't feel right, and and um, and did feel secure, you know. Like, we were looking at like ESOP models and mm-hmm. things like that, and it was like, well, if we're gonna be around for like 20, 30, 40 years or more. And we're building equity with the employees are building equity. We don't want to get to a place where we then have to sell it legally under ERISA. Yes. Like that felt weird. And so it, like, yeah, having like an exit where like the company was like in jeopardy because we had to give you an exit. Like that felt odd.
1: Yes. I'm yeah. so glad to hear you say that. Cause it reminds me of the, you know, the emperor has no clothes because that, Model to so many professional investors is considered the model, and for someone to be like, "Wait a minute, that's really odd," you know.
0: Yeah, (laughs) it's like yeah, yeah, it's like well, we we took the risk. It's like, (laughs) wait a second, I go bankrupt. I think I have a risk too. Yeah, like in and I don't think that, like, I get it. You don't get your money back, and that's that sucks. Right, but like, hey, man, we're all risking here exactly you know what I mean like we're all working hard why do you why do I then put the company at jeopardy as a result of giving you and not only your 5x return or 7x return plus an exit Mm -hmm. and then like also like and I just I'm not like we don't have a lot of experience fundraising it's not something that like I feel I want to spend like a ton of my time doing and so it was like so in five years I'm basically going to spend the next two years fundraising <laughs> mm-hmm. and then I'm going to spend in five years I'm going to spend another two years fundraising mm-hmm. and or then looking like, for
1: an acquirer
0: <laughs> yeah and it's just like is this shit ever going to end yeah. like I just didn't want to be on this like hamster wheel where it was like well you're just always going to be investing or <laughs> you know always gonna be fundraising and it's like oh yes I just didn't I didn't I didn't want that. I didn't feel like that was a valuable use of my time or Firebrand's time, and, um, yeah.
1: Well, I'm just so grateful that you held out for the right thing because this your model is such an inspiration to others who also feel that that model is odd and is not a good fit for them. And so, but speaking of fundraising, I believe you may be fundraising now. So, we want to share a little <laughs> bit about that just so our listeners might have the opportunity to, uh, to invest in Firebrand. So, tell us a little bit about that.
0: Yeah. So, we, are, so we just launched a WeFunder campaign, uh, WeFunder.com slash Firebrand.artisan.breads. Um, so, we just launched a fundraiser. Uh, so, WeFunder campaign, we're raising $2 million um, using a safe note um to basically help the company grow like we're on a pretty, like i said we're a pretty fast growth trajectory um we need to invest in some marketing we need to invest in some machinery we want to do more social programs we launched our own um what we call like a worker resource center which helps provide wraparound services to our staff uh we just launched our first ged classes a few weeks ago so we're kind of expanding what we do around that front um, and then we're going to be expanding our sliced bread into Pacific Northwest and Southern California through Whole Foods soon by the end of the year. So uh, the capital will go towards that as well. So yeah, that's what we're, we're raising money for now. Awesome. After I just got done saying how I'm yeah <laughs> you know, I'm fundraising, um, but it is you know it's a reality.
1: Right, but it is so nice when you can open up the opportunity to your customers, your community. Sure. Um, it's a whole different feeling let everyone benefit from your success and not just the people who are already super wealthy.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, especially because we've all, like I said, you know what I mean? We've always been like one step at a time, one loaf at a time, one account at a time. Like, what it's always been this kind of step-by-step process for us. We haven't been like these kind of big leaps and bounds. And so, you know, this kind of we funder makes sense, you know, because that's what we've, we've been trying to do for 14 years, mm-hmm. just kind of little by little, bring everybody into the picture and build relationships.
1: Well, your story is just so incredibly inspiring. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. And we will share the link to your campaign in the show notes, as well as, you know, your other links, you know, so people can maybe find out how to get your products. And um, great. Well, anything, any last um, advice you'd like to share with (laughs) entrepreneurs who are looking to raise money and or investors who are looking to be a little more creative and thoughtful about how they invest?
0: I think it's just important to think about what your goals are. What's your vision? What's your long-term vision, you know, and as an investor, like, Hey, if you're going to be doing this for 30, 40 years, and you just love this company, then maybe we can be more creative about how that's going to be successful for them and what's their goals. So I think if we just spend a little more time talking about the vision and goals for the companies involved and how those overlap, and then just working like spending a little bit more time working together, um, I think a lot of people can be creative pretty easily if they just talk to each other a little bit more.
1: Um, I love it. Yes. I think the default is so often to just go to those, those docs that you've been using with every other investment you've ever made and that your yep. lawyer said were good docs, you know, and <laughs> it's like, guess yep. what? You know, every business is totally unique and special. So
0: yep, it makes exactly.
1: sense to, uh, to take a little time to customize. All right. Well, thank you so much, Matt. And we wish you the best of success with everything.
0: Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Do you have any questions for our securities lawyers and capital raising experts? Call the podcast hotline and leave us a message at 866-552-7726 extension 5. You can also send other inquiries to podcast at JennyCassen.com. We'd love to hear from you music for the capital insight podcast is still searching by damon criswell via audio hero thank you for listening to capital insight with jenny casson and michelle timish until next time